Hello everyone, Hendra here. Welcome to Scales, Tales, Plants and Trails, your one-stop shop for all sorts of interesting things about nature, the outdoors and animals. Today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about a group of my favourite fish on planet Earth. You can think, this group of fish is cool, piranha cool, coelacanths are ancient awesome, but believe me, these are better than everything. Today we're talking about Polypterus. Polypter what? More commonly known as Bashirs, Polypterus are a genus of fish from Africa that are known among biologists for having some really wacky features and a pretty old prehistoric record. Funnily enough, I happen to know a decent amount of these due to my involvement in the fish hobby, and I've written a big article for which I'll basically be reading you. So this is a bit more prepared, not so off the cuff, but sit back, relax, and enjoy having an absolute overload of information about some random fish from the back ends of Africa. So everything you need to know about Bashirs. Just a note, this article includes husbandry and biology, but for the sake of the podcast I'll just be focusing on the juicy biology bits. For those interested in how to look after these fish, or would like to get one, I'll post the link in the Instagram post description. And a quick forward. Polypterus is a genus of prehistoric fish found in Central and Northern Africa. Known for being one of the oldest groups of fish, having retained similar structure for up to 100 million years. Since their scientific discovery in 1802, polypterids have been subject to intense research into their prehistoric origins, almost as a window into the past. Biologists have found that polypterus, common name Bashirs, have many structures and features not seen in any other fishes alive today. This group is also a popular choice for aquariums, with their prehistoric features often being likened to dinosaurs, and for good reason. They make for a great addition to many aquaria and are relatively easy to keep. This article aims to compile scientific knowledge and many collective years of Bashir keeping experience into one place to highlight the scientific importance, biological features and quality husbandry practice for this amazing group of fish. I trust that all who read or listen may learn something new and that the prospective or beginner Bashir keepers will find this section useful in their aquatic endeavours. Let's begin with the history and fossil record, and start start with the history of Polypterus in the last 200 years. Now, one of the many lasting scientific effects of Napoleon Bonaparte's expedition to Egypt in 1798 was the opening of Egypt to the scientific community of the West. One of the 167 scholars and artists chosen to accompany this great excursion was French naturalist Geoffrey Saint-Hilaire, the first scientist to interact with Polypterus. Along the banks of the Nile River, he observed a large, green fish with hard scales and many fins on his back, naming it Polypterus, meaning many fins. He later gave out the scientific name Polypterus Bashir at a scientific conference. The term Bashir, pronounced Bashir, is derived from a name locals gave to the fish, thought to relate to a description of a whip. Saint-Hilaire later re- stated about this discovery in 1809. If I had discovered only this species in Egypt, it would compensate me for the pains usually involved in a long journey. He was made a professor of zoology in Paris in 1809, and worked extensively in anatomical study and worked closely with influential naturalist Baron Georges Cuvier for many years. Classification of Bashirs remained a hot topic for many years, with great uncertainty about their placement in the natural order due to their combination of unique and unusual features. As a result, Thomas Henry Huxley created the order Crossoptera guy in 1811 to house extinct and extant animals, such as polypterids, with lungs and fleshy pectoral fins. 
This was done purely from the study of preserved specimens. More work was required. Francis Balfour and students from Cambridge established in the 1870s that embryology was a key foundation of studying evolution, spurring a renewed interest in polypterus and lungfish, which group gave rise to modern tetrapods such as humans. Nothing was known about the life cycle of polypterus at the time due to the remote, inhospitable nature of their habitats and recurring wars in the area. This is where the next major player in this history enters the stage. His name was John Samuel Budget. Budget was a zoologist from Britain who ultimately discovered much of what would be known about polypterus for decades. He did so over four expeditions in 1898, 1900, and 1902, and 1903. His main goal was to study the breeding habits and embryo development of polypterus. The first expedition to the Gambia produced fish with eggs, but Budget was unsuccessful in finding developing ova or achieving artificial insemination. His trip was cut short due to severe illness. He returned here in 1900, again failing to find fertilised ova. Expedition 3 in 1902 took Budget around Uganda, where he caught many Bashirs laying or having laid their eggs, but was unable to find any fry. Despite his history of poor health and the safety risks, Budget took his final expedition to Sierra Leone towards the end of 1903. After two weeks of travel and another month of failed attempts, he successfully captured some Polyptera senegalis and artificially impregnated about 1,000 eggs. Success at last! Despite losing the first batch to fungus after a week, he continued his research and within a month had preserved specimens of each developmental stage and a few larvae. Back in Cambridge, Budget worked fervently to publish his work, finishing his drawings the day he was struck by a bout of blackwater fever, followed by a malarial attack a few days later. He died from these diseases on 19th January 1904, the day he was expected to report his work to the Zoological Society. His friend, John Graham Kerr, was left with the task of publishing Budget's reports. These were done in memorial and published alongside his original sketches. Budget's work was a key factor in the decision to remove Polypterus from a Crossoptogregarian order and instead place the genus as a Paleonicid, the most primitive ray-finned fishes. This removed Polypterus as a candidate for study of the development of tetrapods. This has now also been confirmed through genetic study. His publications remain as some of the most important studies ever done on polypterus. A 1997 study confirmed Budget's work on the embryonic development of Bashirs as well. He was way ahead of his time. In the end, Budget's frog was named in his honour, after his work on amphibians in South America. Study of polypterus is continuing today with a huge interest in their morphological features that are unique amongst animals alive today. Apart from the scientific interest, they have become popular prehistoric pets for many aquaria where they have found a different appreciation as noodles or sausages. Now to look back a little further into the prehistoric times. The story of the Polypterus fossil record spans back a whopping 100 million years, and that's just with the fossils we have found. Scales, dorsal spines, and various other bones have been unearthed in South America, while scales and spines have been found in Niger and Sudan. Most importantly, Two articulated fossils have been found in Morocco. The fossil distribution covers a larger area than the modern distribution of polypterids. There are no modern species alive in South America. South America and Africa detached from each other roughly 180 to 200 million years ago, implying that polypterids inhabited the Earth before the division of the continents long ago. Fossils of polypterids have been distinguished by their unique three-layer ganoid scales, containing isopedine in the middle. 
those in South America have been dated to 53 to 65 million years ago, while the African fossil record stretches back to 96 million years ago. It is suspected that polypterids developed in the area that has now formed northern modern Africa, where they persisted, and South America, where they died out. Throughout the fossil history, there have been two species that stood out for different reasons, the well-preserved Polypterus faro and the hulking Bawitius. Bawitius is an extinct genus of polypterid from modern-day Egypt with only a single species, Bawitius bartelli, known only from a few bones and ganoid scales, but from a comparison of the sizes, it was believed to be tremendous, measuring in at around 3 meters in length, and they're bulky, just imagine how huge that must be. Polyptus faro, however, is a more recent member of the polypterid lineage and has the most well-preserved fossil of any polypterid with a fully articulated three-dimensional skeleton from Chad. The fossilized fish lived in the late Miocene era, around 5.3 million years ago, and is the only verifiable fossil on record for polypterus, closely resembling modern species Polypterus bashir and Polypterus endlicheri, with a more primitive body type and an opening of the lateral line of the scales, in a similar fashion to the aforementioned species. There's so much to learn about the fossil record of Polypterus. They are a valuable group in terms of evolutionary history. Now that we've got the history out of the way, we can move on to the taxonomy and what species are still around today. Polypterids are classified under the subclass Actinoptigerae. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, actual ichthyologists, also known as raffin fish, and are one of the oldest lineages of fish alive today. The Bashir group has a distinct lineage from the rest of the raffin fish, as can be seen on a diagram, which basically shows the Bashir splitting off long before the rest of the raffin fish, such as paddlefish, sturgeon, teleos, which is basically every other fish, gulls and bowfins. This is significant as they are therefore the most prehistoric lineage of raffin fish alive today, making them vital for studying evolution and getting a better understanding of the development of primitive features. Nowadays, two extant genera survive, Polypterus and Epetoichthus, the last of a group of fish predating many groups of fish living today. To date, most classification of Bashirs are done through morphology, the study of form and structure, and also comparisons of proportions or counts of certain body parts, e.g. scale counts or the numbers of dorsal finlets that the Bashirs have. The species distribution of Polypterus has undergone revision many times. Several subspecies or regional varieties are known to the hobby, but are now considered invalid to science. The latest and most thorough revision was done by European scientists Timo Moritz and Ralph Bretz, published in July 2019. This was a morphological study done to classify the order on a species level. The study established a presence of 13 valid species of Polypterus, as well as a single species of ropefish. There are also two unique groups within Polypterus, upper jaw species and lower jaw species. Upper jaw species simply means the top jaw protrudes past the bottom jaw, and vice versa for lower jaws. The upper jaws are a bit more recent in evolutionary history, while the lower jaws stay true to form, with the old prehistoric form seen in Polypterus faro that lived 5 million years ago. Now work on genetic relationships between Polypterus species is ongoing, and the species list is subject to change. A proper phylogenetic analysis will give a more concrete framework to base for classification when compared to pure morphological analysis that only looks at outside traits. The last genetic review of the lineage was in 2010, and that is currently under revision. So now, onto the anatomy, the fun stuff. What makes these fish so weird? Polypterists have long bemused those who study the natural world, 
there is almost nothing on Earth like them. In the early days of scientific exploration into the genus, they left researchers perplexed, and for good reason. To name a few of the oddities about them is easy. They have bony, ganoid scales made of bone salts. The larvae resemble tadpoles in shape, and also have the same fluffy external gills. They have fleshy, lobe-like fins. Were they ray-finned or lobe-finned? They have two highly vascularized lungs, allowing them to breathe air. They are also the only vertebrate to have lungs without a trachea. Instead of a dorsal fin, they have a row of fin spines that can come up and down on command. They could also live outside of water for extended periods, and will actually drown without access to air. And they also only have four gull arches, normally fish have five. And lastly, they have a very unusual specialized anal fin in the males for reproduction. As you can tell, the discovery of these fish created a flurry of excitement in the scientific community, and now after 200 years we have a solid knowledge base, scientifically and for the general hobbyist. Now let's have a look at some of the cool anatomical and morphological features that Polypterus possess. We will start with the gular plates. A rare feature in modern fish, the gular plates are a pair of bony plates that extends forward from under the gills and reach under the bottom jaws. The function of these plates is to help crush and compress foods, helping them eat larger objects. Bofin, a mere culver, also have a single thick gular plate. These plates are only seen in some bony fish species nowadays. In hobbies, you'll sometimes see the fish using these plates to crush big pieces of food such as fish or cockroaches. Next up, we have spiracles. Rather than gulping up air to breathe, Bashirs prefer using two small vents in the top of their skull known as spiracles, especially if they feel secure in their surroundings. Through a method called recoil aspiration, Bashirs can almost fill their lungs in a single aspiration cycle. It is thought many early tetrapods use a similar breathing mechanism. As mentioned before, polypterists prefer to breathe through their spiracles when they're feeling secure. They do this by contracting their muscles, forcing air out of their lungs before relaxing them, creating a negative pressure gradient. Air is drawn through the spiracular valves and is stuck, oh, sucked into the lungs and bucopharyngeal chamber, essentially their jaw cavity, where dedicated muscles enclose the valves and compress the remaining air to fill the lungs to full capacity. Any excess air is released afterwards, usually seen as a bubble leaving the fish's head. This is a stealthy and effortless method of obtaining extra oxygen. If they're feeling unsafe, they'll rather make a quick dash to the surface, take a gulp and shoot back down. But this is riskier in the wild as it can alert the predators to their presence. Next up, their lungs. One of the most unusual features of Polypteridae is their pair of fully functional lungs. They are quite large in comparison to the body. The right lung is almost double the length of its counterpart running up basically from head to tail, whereas the left lung is somewhat shorter. These lungs are fairly simple in structure compared to mammalian lungs, as they do not have alveoli, and instead have folded areas to increase surface area while also being highly vascularized. Oh, vascularized. The high concentration of blood vessels allows for better diffusion of oxygen into the circulatory system. This appears to be sufficient to allow them to live out of water indefinitely, as seen in some studies. It is believed that these lungs were developed to help these fish survive in the sometimes hypoxic environments in which they live. Some stagnant bodies of water end up having little to no dissolved oxygen available. Another theory is that these fish started gulping air to increase their buoyancy and developed air breathing mechanisms as a result. There is evidence of both theories, as air breathing has developed independently 38 to 60, ooh, 67 times over history, which is pretty crazy. Next up. Stomach muscles. Bashirs have abs, man. 
Another behavior seen in Bashirs is something named stomach packing. This is often seen in the aquatic community. Food can sometimes be hard to come by. So, to make the most of a sudden abundant food source, such as a large fish that died, Bashirs can use their abdominal muscles to compact the food in their stomachs to make space for more. This can result in an abnormally fat-looking fish, but it helps them prepare for hardship in the wild. Now, onto the fins. Polypterists have unusual fins. I mean, their scientific name means many fins. Firstly, they have no true dorsal fin like most fish. Instead, they have a series of dorsal finlets, spines with small fins attached. These finlets can be controlled by the fish and are often erected in displays of dominance, aggression, or warning to predators. No other living fish possesses such a dorsal system. Secondly, despite being ray-finned, they have fleshy pectoral fin bases that are reminiscent of lobe-finned fish such as the coelacanth. This feature confused many zoologists for years. It is now known that this is simply a curious prehistoric trait, and they are firmly established as a primitive ray-finned fish. Now also, armoured scales. Part of their prehistoric appeal, a Bashir looks heavily armoured with a crisscross of bony, tough scales. Known as gangoid scales, these tough plates protect ancient fish such as Bashirs, gar, and bowfin from harm. The name ganoid is derived from the inorganic salt ganoine, which forms the outer layer of these scale plates. In Bashirs and bowfin, the scales follow this layering. The outside is formed of hard ganoin. And dentine, a hard and bony tissue also found in our teeth, sits in the middle. And lastly, a layer of connective tissue embedded with bone, known as isopedin, lattices it together. Fish such as gar also have ganoid scales, just without the inner layer of dentine. This distinguishes their scales from Bashirs and bowfin. Polyptera scales are rhomboid in shape and joined with a peg and socket for maximum protection and strength in exchange for some of their flexibility. If you ever feel a Bashir's scales, it can be noted how hard they are. It's solid. Especially when compared to other aquarium fish, they're usually quite soft. These scales are another weapon to protect polypterous in the wild. Imagine a fish with chainmail. Now remember that thing I said about them looking like frogs? Or like tadpoles when they're little? Well yeah, they also have external gills, much like an axolotl does. Something that distinguishes them from any other fish is the unique development of these large external gills during the larval stage. These gills grow from the main set of gills to help supplement the young fish with oxygen while their lungs develop and mature. It makes sense due to their environments often being low in oxygen. Bashirs hold on to these for varying durations, usually shedding them by the time they are 3 to 5 inches in length, but it can vary. Some fish retain stubs of the gill base for significantly longer. This is nothing to worry about, as it will eventually detach. This feature confused earlier biologists. Was this thing an amphibian or a fish, or some unholy mixture of the two? Bashirs have been established as a fish by now. This remains incredibly unique to non-amphibians. Next up, the lateral line. The lateral line is a system of sensory organs found in most aquatic vertebrates, especially fish. Every species of fish has some form of lateral line or similar sensory organ. This lateral line network is found on the head, known as a head canal system, of some fish, and in a line extended from a gill plates to a caudal fin base, the trunk canal system, and is used to detect movement of other creatures or to avoid colliding with objects or through the lateral line's ability to detect minute changes in water pressure and direction near the fish. Any changes are translated through the nervous system to the brain, allowing for split-second adjustments to avoid predators or catch prey. This is how blind or nocturnal fish can navigate and find food without being able to see. 
Interestingly, the lateral line can also detect low-frequency sounds of 100 Hz or less. Most fish have a modified lateral row of scales to accommodate the specialized structure of the lateral line organs. Peleptros have a very well-developed head canal system alongside a trunk canal system. This makes sense as they must be able to find food effectively at night or in murky conditions, especially along the bottom of the lakes or rivers in which they live. They have four lateral line branches on their head, which basically allows them to pick up any sort of movement right in front of them. So if it's a little crab that scuttles, that thing is gone. If something falls into the water, they can probably pick up on the splash. It's an amazing system that fish have developed to find food, even when they can't see it. Apart from the lateral line, how do bichirs find food? The lateral line system is limited in range to the immediate area around the fish. The eyesight to polyptrus also tends to be poor in most cases, likely due to the often murky habitats. To get passes, bichirs have developed a potent sense of smell to locate prey or food sources, and analysis of their brains has confirmed this. The occipital region related to sight is reduced when compared to a salmon, but the olfactory region is immense which basically tells us that if something is stinking, the Bashir will find it. This is often seen in aquariums, because they'll often be hiding or in a place where they can't see food, but seconds after it hits the water, they jumped alive, smelling something tasty that they can nibble on. Now lastly, remember I spoke about that unique anal fin in the males? Well, that's the easiest way to tell the sexes apart. Bashirs, for the most part, are sexually monomorphic or indistinguishable from each other. It's just for anal fin that can be used to tell them apart. Females have a fairly thin, reduced anal fin, like most fish, whereas male bashirs have an incredibly thick muscular anal fin that is much larger than females. It turns out that this muscular anal fin is used in a very interesting courtship and mating display. You'll often see a male bashir cupping his fin, or sort of flexing it around to one side. This makes a sort of cup, and then while the fish are reproducing, the female will lay her eggs, and the male will try and catch him in, his, in the cup of the anal fin, where he, he can fertilize them and then drop them into the spawning substrate. This is a unique system to Bashirs. We haven't seen anything like this in other fish, and it's the only way to tell them apart. Another interesting point of difference is the difference in maturation times. Males will begin breeding at 2-3 to three years of age, while most female Bashirs mature after 5 plus years. Female Bashirs also seem to be more prominent than males, a poll on forums gave a rough, a rough ratio of 3 males to 7 females. This was also observed by Budget in his studies of Polypterus. The exact reasoning behind this is unknown, but may be to ensure that a greater amount of female fish survive to maturity. Now that's the end of the very interesting anatomy and morphology of these fish. But the interest doesn't stop there. Their behaviour is absolutely fascinating. It's been quite well documented in Aquaria. We'll start with the defensive behaviour. So. Floating is usually a worrying behaviour in fish, especially ones that aren't normally glued to the surface. If they're floating, it's quite often an indication that something is wrong with them, such as a swim bladder disorder where they can no longer maintain their buoyancy. But it turns out, floating is a common behaviour in younger bichirs and there's nothing to worry about. In the wild, young bichirs will often congregate in the still water areas of marginal vegetation for several reasons. Firstly, and most obviously, it provides shelter from predators, as well as an abundant food source in the form of insects in their larvae. Secondly, by hiding amongst leaves and debris, it makes it very easy for the fish to hide near the surface, where they have easy access to atmospheric air while their lungs develop. As a result of this, young bashirs will often prefer to hide among surface plants in aquaria. Newly introduced fish may also exhibit this behaviour. This is less common with adult fish, that tend to stick to the bottom, 
and is mostly done by upper jaw species such as ropefish. It is rarer in lower jaw species, although it's often noted that the fry will stick to the side of a tank near the surface. For this reason, it is often advised to give floating plants or plastic plants to young bichirs to hide in near the surfaces of their aquarium when you first get them. Okay, so when they're done floating, when they're bigger, what do they do to defend themselves or get away from predators? Well, I mean, fight or flight response is a big thing in people. Turns out bichirs all do the same thing, but they prefer running, and they'll quite often have just a maniac burst of speed. Fleeing from danger is a common survival tactic in most organisms. Bashirs are no different and will often burst into rapid motion in response to sudden threats. In the wild, their muscular structure allows for explosive bursts of speed over short distances and allows them to escape predation in a jiffy, but this can be dangerous in aquaria. At home, Bashirs can be frightened by external stimuli such as knocks of a tangle stand, shutting doors, or sudden forces which results on them turning into a scaly torpedo, crashing into anything and everything in their path until they calm down. This could harm them in confined spaces. It is best to provide plants and daycare for them to hide in to help them feel secure, as well as having a long, wide tank to give them more space to move in. And now remember those dorsal spines I told you about earlier and how they could go up and down at will? Well, it turns out flaring their finlets is a very common show of aggression or defensive behaviour. Something every Bashir keeper will witness is this behaviour known as flaring, where a Bashir will erect the dorsal spines and finlets in a formidable looking display. This could serve several purposes for wild bashirs by making them harder to eat, look bigger, and show aggression to other bashirs. This may also form part of their interaction between conspecific fish. They're also often seen flaring when feeling threatened or aggressive, or just at random times. Even when feeding, they'll quite often flare their fins, maybe telling other fish to back off. These are my pellets. I'm going to eat them all. It is a versatile tool in the bashir behavior toolbox. And now, some feeding behaviors. In the wild, they're going to have some unique ways to find food. First of all, it's something called perching, especially common in decorated tanks, especially with lower jaw fish. Polypterists will often be seen balancing on the rear part of their body, remaining perfectly still and wait for prey to move close enough to be ambushed. They'll often do this off of plants or structures, such as wood. Not much known is about the prominence of fish in the diet of Bashirs, but people have noticed this behaviour being employed to catch feeder fish in the aquarium. As mentioned in the anatomy section, bashirs possess the ability to pack extra food into their stomach. Once a bashir has eaten its fill, it will adjust its body side to side, using its muscles to compact the food and make some more space. In nature, bashirs are opportunistic feeders, so they'll make the most out of a large meal such as a fish carcass by stuffing in as much as possible. Also, another note, do not overfeed them, be very careful, especially with captive bred fish. For some reason, they have less regulation of their appetites than wild-caught fish. The exact cause of this is unknown, but could be due to the abundance of food as young, or genetics, or who knows what else. Next up, the death roll. Steve Owen would be proud of bishias, but they can death roll in a similar manner to crocodilians, and for the same reason, to tear off chunks of flesh from larger food items. If a bishia locates a large food source, such as a large dead fish, will bite and grab before violently spinning to tear off a bite-sized chunk. This is rare in the aquarium as we usually feed smaller pieces of food to avoid choking, but can be observed when feeding large chunks of food that they cannot fit in their mouth. There are many examples of this on YouTube, with everything from fish fillet to frogs. Now that they're done eating, they have enough energy for spawning. Spawning behaviour in fish can often be elaborate or simple, and there are so many unique examples of it. For Bashirs, however, Bashirs can put on several acts, such as breaching. Basically, they break the surface through jumping 
And that is something Abashirs will often do at random, but is also part of their long display of courtship behaviour before mating. If this is successful, the male will start doing something called anal fin cupping, as mentioned in the anatomy section. The males are distinguished from females by their larger muscular anal fin, which is used as a mating appendage. They'll bend this into a cup during courtship and reproduction, and you catch eggs, fertilize them, and then release them, several times over a breeding session. Males will sometimes cup at random, even when no females are present. And if they're trying to figure out which females are interested in them, they'll often do something basically nudging and following. They'll poke each other. The male will often follow a female around, nudging her sides with his head, while cupping his anal fin as a show of his readiness to mate. This will often go on until the male loses interest, or the couple will move to a suitable spawning area and mate. Now there's a few other interesting behaviours. We'll start with scratching. Occasionally Bashirs will be observed scratching themselves with their pectoral fins, going as far as to bend their bodies to reach further down their sides. It is a unique behaviour developed to remove external parasites without having to expend lots of energy to do something known as flashing, which is throwing themselves at a structure to dislodge parasites. This is commonly observed in wild-caught fish in quarantine, although parasite-free fish will also do this at times, perhaps to clear particulate matter from their surroundings or from their sensitive lateral lines, or for other reasons yet unknown. Also, like humans, Bashirs like to yawn, and actually, most fish that possess retracted jaws, or jaws that can extend, or sometimes extend their jaws into something fish keepers affectionately call yawning. They exhibit this behaviour at random times, and it is often observed after eating, perhaps to readjust their jaw positions or exercising their outer jaw extension. And something also commonly seen in fish tanks with a lot of big bashirs and not too many hiding spaces, they form bashir piles, especially in the corners. Naturally, bashirs prefer dimly lit environments with places to hide. If no structure is present, then their neighbour is structure. They'll clump together and attempt to hide. Their neighbours obstruct most of their view of their surroundings, helping them feel secure. This is just part of the hierarchy, I guess. And while Bashirs are not known as very aggressive fish, they'll often form hierarchy structures in a relatively non-violent matter. Common displays of dominance behaviour include the dorsal finlet flaring, nipping at the fins or body of other Bashirs, or lying side by side, flaring and wobbling at each other until one fish moves away. This last behaviour was observed between two Senegal Bashirs, and would last anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds with the dorsal spines erect and wobbling back and forth on their pectoral fins until the dominant fish nipped at the other and they broke away from each other. This was most frequent in the months after introduction, after which a fish rarely showed aggression towards one another. Lastly, another unique behaviour exhibited by a small number of species, namely Polypterus dalhesi, Polypterus enlicheri, and Polypterus weeksi, is head-bearing, where the fish can be observed digging their heads into a substrate and rapidly shaking their body till they are mostly buried. This may serve a dual purpose. It helps hide the bashir from predators and may provide another ambush mechanism if poaching fails. In aquaria, it is important to provide a fine substrate, such as sand, to allow the fish to bury themselves without injury. Other species may also rarely display this behaviour. And with that, we reach the end of a biology part of my article. If you would like to read the full thing, hop over onto www.monsterfishkeepers.com and look under the Polyptera section of Ancient Fish. There you'll see the article titled Everything You Need to Know About Bashirs, which is pretty much what it is. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. It was pretty much my magnum opus. This has been my biggest article that fed my obsession about fish. And with that, it was also the first revision of K of the genus in about 13 years on the site. And this is major, and so it gets a lot of traffic of people that keep big fish. So as you can tell, 
These fish are amazing, and I hope you can understand why I love them so much. There are lots of resources available if you'd like to keep them. And with that, I hope you've learned some new things about these very, very unique fish species from Africa. And honestly, how cool are they? Okay, I'll stop ranting now. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you would like to see more, please head over to our Instagram page at www.instagram.com forward slash scalespodcasting or at scalespodcasting if you're on mobile. If you would like to support the podcast, please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash stpt. And I've also put up a WordPress website, thatjungle.wordpress.com. On there, you'll see some of the photos I've taken of Mother Nature and some articles that I might write now and again about the natural world for podcasts and just other things I find interesting. And with that, please like the podcast, follow us. If you like it so much, it would really be appreciated. That wraps up our episode on a noodly fish known as Bishias. I hope you enjoyed, and until next time, Andre, signing out.